0: Uh, my morning started in a weird sort of place where I was shaving and my electric shaver kind of ran out of battery halfway through and I was like, oh, I'll come back to that, I'll charge it up and then I forgot, so I should be prettier, I'm not, it's my life. Um, then my wife who is awesome made me a coffee and she's like, do you want it in the travel mug or in a normal mug? Oh, and I kind of got to run out the door, put it in the travel mug and then I ran out the door without the coffee. And I'm praising God for the rain, and then I walk out the door, and like my nose went ridiculous. And it was running, and I'm sneezing, it was bizarre. And then all weekend, I haven't been able to print this talk, so I'm praising God for my daughter Mia, who lent me her iPad to preach at 8 this morning. It was one of those mornings where everything went just a little cuckoo. Uh, And so it just reminds me of a good thing to do, which is to come before God. Psalm 121, the God of Jacob, neither sleeps nor slumbers. Any good? His shaver doesn't break. He doesn't forget his coffee. His printer does what it's meant to do. His printer is himself, the Holy Spirit, through apostles and people writing the Bible. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are consistent. We thank you that Jesus is our cornerstone. We thank you that your Holy Spirit remains with us and among us. We thank you, Father, that your will is perfect. We thank you that your love is enduring. We thank you that your power is unmatched. And so, Father God, as we hear these words from Hebrews chapter 2, may we have every confidence to pay attention. May we have every confidence that your word is a dependable one and our Saviour is a Saviour who rescues and rescues perfectly. And so, Father God, be with us now as we heed your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Probably a good thing for a guy like me having one of those up and down mornings is that I turn the attention to you and we use your brains for a little bit. Three questions. I want you to ponder these in, in your mind. You don't have to call anything out. You don't need to vote. Just think. If you had a coach, <clears throat> would you want a coach who encourages you or critiques you? Just keep your answers to yourself. A coach who encourages you or critiques you, what would you need? Now I want you to think about church. If you're looking at a church What's the essential element you would look for to be sure that God was there? Okay, so you're out of the church, was the essential element you're looking for to make sure God is there. Where you say, Wow, God was in that place. And finally, I'm going to quote my uh, my dearly departed mother who is in glory, who used to say to me all the time Actions speak louder than words. Virginia Dirks said Actions speak louder than words. What do you reckon? Is she right? So ponder those three questions and as I open Hebrews chapter 2 for you this morning, I hope that I might uh, bring words that might uh, challenge your answers, influence your answers or help you arrive at how you want to answer those three questions. As we come to Hebrews chapter 2, we come to a part of Hebrews that introduces us to an essential structure of Hebrews that we must understand. We learnt last week that Hebrews is all about getting us there. It's about persevering. It's about running the race set before us, we pick up in chapter 12. And it's all done within the context of pressure. So I want to introduce you this morning to what I call the Hebrews track. Uh, It's much like a railway track. Now, I don't know if this is official language, but this is how I understand some stuff. Think of a road. I'm going to describe a road as a passive track. Because a road is there before you, and as you drive it, the, the, you know, your hands are on the wheel, and you can, you can make choices, and you can move, and sometimes you can make bad choices and go right off the road. What's beautiful about a railway track is it's not so passive, it's actually active. This is kind of how Hebrews works. Uh, if you look at this railway track, have a look, it's sort of going around the bend. Now, if you imagine yourself on a locomotive uh, chugging along, you think you can, you think you can. Uh, as you come to a bend, there are two rails and they're going to act to push and pull, aren't they? One rail going to sort of push your wheels that way to, 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 to influence your inertia and move you in that direction. And the other rail is sort of going to pull you in so that you don't go skewing right off into the bush. They push and they pull together and they work as a track to get you to the desired destination. This is how Hebrews works. Hebrews, you're going to see uh, the famous parts of Hebrews are that there are these serious warnings and sometimes people get tied up in knots in the warnings depending on how you're wired you might pay attention to them and there are these just wonderful encouragements in Hebrews as well and uh, depending how you're wired you might be going, yes look at those encouragements they work like railway tracks, you've got to read them together Last week, we visited one of the encouragements, and this week, we visit one of the warnings. But the way the Hebrews track works, and it's going to happen time and time again with increasing intensity as the book goes on, to get us there, Hebrews works like a good coach. Now, I don't know which kind of coach you voted for, but a good coach will encourage you and let you know when you're getting it wrong. That's great! You're doing really well! But you're not! You feel great about not doing it well. You suck. That's not how you do it. Well, I don't even want to do it anymore. A good coach tells you both. Hebrews is a good coach. It's going to help us get to the goal. And the goal is to see Jesus face to face being found a faithful servant. And so it has two tracks, the tracks of encouragement and the track of warning. Let me show you how they're going to work today on the next slide. Firstly, there's an encouragement. The encouragement you're alerted to in chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay most careful attention, therefore. The therefore is the reason. This is the encouragement. Therefore gives us the basis for the action that we're about to be given. The reason, and so in Hebrews 1, 1 to 14, as Ian brought us last week, we hear that Jesus is this perfect word that God has spoken. Hey, God's spoken in tons of ways but in these last times, the final and ultimate word is the one he revealed in his son. And so that's the basis, that's the certainty, that's the floor we stand on that encourages us to go forward. Now at the same time, chapter 2 verse 1 has us, so that this speaks to outcome. And the context of the outcome is a warning. We're told we're going to do something so that we do not drift away. It's put in a negative context. Uh, We don't want to drift away. Why? Because Coach Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so I'm just going to call him Coach today, because Coach wants us to get there. Coach doesn't want us to drift away from the goal. Coach wants us to persevere and make it to the end with Jesus. So we have an encouragement, a therefore, a reason, We have an outcome to pursue, the so that. And because we have those two bookends, coach is now qualified to tell us what to do in the middle, the action. And the action is, pay the most careful attention to what we have heard. Why should I do that? Because what I've heard, being encouraged, is the ultimate thing to hear Why should I do it? Because without it, there's a real danger. I'll drift away from the faith. There's a real danger. My Jesus and my salvation will go off course. And so the action is to pay the most careful attention. Here's how I want to help us do that this morning. Uh, Three tips out of these four verses. We're going to pay the most careful attention by tuning in turning up the volume, and repeating. Let's start with tuning in. Uh, Hebrews is written in the midst of a hostile society. Hebrews is written at a time where people like the Roman Emperor Nero don't want you to be Christian. It conflicts with some of the cultural norms and the things that culture is trying to do. And so there's a significant temptation for the people of the time, of the coach, and that is to backslide from Christianity back into their Judaism because there's some protection in that. There's some cover in that. So if you stop sticking your neck out as this follower of Jesus, it'll go better. Again, chapter 12 says, no, run the race set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And then it goes on to say, hey, remember him who shed his blood. You haven't shed your blood yet. If you ain't dead, you ain't done. Keep running. Keep going with him. Yes, you're under pressure. Do not backslide. It's written in the context of a hostile society. What better book for us to study today? Where loud and forceful voices say, stop it with the Jesus assertions. One of my favourite comedians of the time is Ricky Gervais. Guy's ad comedic genius. And I contend he's no fool. I think he's a smart guy. This is a guy who, with his wit, can actually hold a whole Golden Globe audience hostage and be invited back year after year after year. This guy is funny. This guy is a thinker, and this guy speaks with a forceful voice. Uh, and you see his quote, there have been nearly 3,000 gods so far, I suspect that's an understatement because many people worship themselves, myself included from time to time, there would be more, but officially nearly 3,000 gods so far, but only yours actually exists. The others are silly made up nonsense, but yours, yours is real. And he contended with a Christian and said, Look, we're not that different. I don't, you don't believe in 2,999 gods. I'm only one more as an atheist. That's a powerful, vocal, not dangerous in the sense of violent, but that's a voice. And that's an argument that if you don't feel anything from that, I suspect your ears might just be a little bit closed to the people around you. There are 3,000 claims They're all silly, but no, no, not yours. Yours is different. We live in a time where the assertion of Jesus as Lord and life under Jesus, just like it has pretty much always been and pretty much always will be, is under threat and is challenged by a hostile culture. We live in a time where you know, there are powerful voices, and they're not just famous voices. They come from within us sometimes because of the powerful emotions we might feel and the things we're drawn to. Of course, the hot button in this area is sexual ethics the things I'm inclined towards, the things that, uh, that I feel strong drive towards. And so our culture, which has normalised some kinds of sexual ethics, challenges and pushes back against what we would assert Jesus has said. I mean, it was wild scenes at tennis, wasn't it? Martina Natratilova and the super brat coming out with their Yvonne Gulagong in the face of what Margaret Court had asserted. There is pressure from culture to move away from the voice of Jesus. I'm reminded of some years ago, maybe nearly over 20 years ago, I was just starting to, to have the privilege to start to teach the Bible publicly and I remember one of the senior clergy of the time, Philip Jensen, when he started as the Dean of the Cathedral in Sydney. He was picked up in the Sydney Morning Herald because in his first talk, as he asserted that Jesus is Lord, or this language we use of Jesus is greater He said, Jesus is Lord. All other faiths are the monstrous lies of Satan. Now, I can't be certain of how that hits you in the belly. Certainly not a a winsome statement, is it? Maybe not the most kind of pastorally sensitive moment, but it's certainly true. When you assert that Jesus is greater, you assert that all else is lesser. Lesser. And Dr. Jensen was right to assert on that occasion that all other claims to divinity, to to being God, to being the saviour, are indeed the monstrous lies of Satan. See, one of the things we wrestle with, I think, sometimes is another voice. You know, when we talk about sexual ethics and things like that, we we, we try to say, look, you you can't say that that's wrong, or you can't say that Jesus has an opinion on that. And we get really scared of calling out sin, the sin that Jesus would have called out. Why are we so terrified of sin? Because sin, the wages of sin is death and sin means I'm bad and all this sort of stuff. But hear the language of verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord. See, here's the thing. One of the false voices that we need to tune out of is the one that says sin is an insurmountable problem. The Gospel of Jesus, this thing that we have heard, is not a sin management program. It's not a, if you follow Jesus, He'll help you to manage your sin portfolio, you'll be able to get minimum return on sin, put some sin there, some sin there, diversify it, and your sin account will look OK. The gospel we have heard is not a sin management program. The gospel we have heard is a sin eradication, abolition program. That is, when Jesus goes to the cross, he brings such a greater salvation that the sin that you have committed, the sin that you will commit, and the sin that riddles my very being is obliterated. And so the Bible says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered over, whose transgression will never be counted against them. What danger we are in if we do not tune in to the voice of Jesus who says, I am Lord, this is my gospel, here is salvation and here is salvation alone. Outside of him, we do need to manage our sin and it ends in condemnation and we are lost. Step one to paying greater attention is to tune in, to prioritise one voice not the voice of Ricky Gervais not the voice of Nero not the voice of John McEnroe not the voice of me not the voice of your inner person not the voice of the evil one but to hear Jesus that says come to me salvation is found in me I will rescue you pay attention and this is written to Hebrews, the people who study Torah, the boys who, in their bar mitzvahs, memorize the Bible. Well, the first five books of it, anyway. The people who are given this command in Deuteronomy 6, read this, let me read this to you. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. In their mind, the heart is the seat of conviction. This is where you really take something in, beyond the head. Impress them on your children, it's generational. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads. You know, they have the little phylacteries on their heads, little box with scriptures in them. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. These are not a people who are sort of inclined to be like, oh yeah, maybe God, maybe not. Oh yeah, read the Bible from time to time. Oh yeah, I remember the Lord these are people well versed in that and now they're told now we are told we must pay the most careful attention therefore because a greater word has been spoken to what we have heard so that we do not drift away for salvation is found only in him and so if we are to pay attention we've got to turn up the volume right that's the next tip turn up the volume because there is a greater messenger there is one who speaks the most perfect word of salvation and whilst there's lots of voices we're going to turn up the volume on jesus now this means that we understand jesus to be god's perfect and fullest revelation let me rehearse this with you a little Last week we looked at Hebrews one one, our basis, our therefore. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son. That verse tells us that God is capable and has spoken in a diverse and amazing, beyond my imagination, beyond my experience, number of ways. But in these last days, in these final times, He's. a superlative word a word that is beyond all others a word that norms all others and that is by his son what Jesus has declared the authoritative teacher Jesus the one who is the message of God the one who is the revelation of God the one who said when you see me you're seeing God now check this bit out in speaking of the angels he says he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire now, I don't know about you, but first time I read this, it sounded dangerous. Look, who wants to be a servant of God? You could end up being a barbecue. I don't want that to happen to me. You've got to understand the poetry. This is a psalm that's quoted. First, let's talk about angels. The language of angels in the original language is angelos. It's one of those, it's one of those real gimme first-year Greek vocab words. You think, angelos, what does that mean? It's got to be angels or Angels. Probably angels. Easy one. But what angelos means, it can mean angels in terms of cherubim or seraphim, the six-wing variety, but it can also simply mean messengers. And there's a number of times in the scriptures where angelos is translated messenger. And so what we learn from this part is that in tons of ways, God has spoken in tons of ways. So there have been times like, uh, and He servants' flames of fire. He's not saying that, you know, this servant, while doing such a great job, turned him into fire. No, he actually turned the fire into a servant. Hence, that wonderful revelation when God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. That didn't burn up. This flame of fire was the servant of the Lord in revealing God. God spoke through it. People like Jonah... Will tell you about how God makes His will pretty clear when He blows up a wind and causes a great storm that says, Ah, 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 not your plans but mine. God's done this on a number of occasions. Some of you would be able to testify to having visions, some of you would be able to testify to hearing audible voices, some of you would be able to testify to having seen miracles. What this passage tells us is that God certainly can and has spoken in a number of truly phenomenal, breathtaking, amazing ways. Let us not be afraid of that. But let us understand where to turn up the volume. Beyond the burning bush, beyond the vision, beyond the spontaneous word of prophecy, God has surpassed all these angels, even a donkey Balaam's ass that spoke God's word even beyond the spectacle of all of that God has spoken his supreme and perfect word in his son Jesus and so this is where we turn up the volume so I ask you again if you wanted to know in a church is God really there how will I know Will it be that? I just vibed it tonight. It was on. You could just tell. It's not that that doesn't count, but that's not the superlative trademark. Isn't that wow? It was amazing. We came to church, and you can really tell Ian Barnett's got some experience now. This guy's been leading the church for a while. He busted out some signs and wonders you would not believe. I mean, he was turning water into wine. There were people out there turning water into coffee, which was comparable. Um, You know, he he was doing all kinds of amazing stuff, people getting healed, amazing stuff. And, you know, we, we carried him out into the car park and praised him and said, God is truly with you. God is truly with him, but it's not because he might do a sign or a wonder. Maybe you say, you know, God's in that church because all the people are empowered to use their gifts. Well, that's a good thing when the people of God are in service and using talents and the ways God has equipped them, but that's not the superlative thing. Sometimes a critique comes in, uh, in places like ours, and it's a good thing to think about, how come we don't speak more about the Holy Spirit? Just this morning I said a creed with the 8 o'clock congregation where we said, with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is worshipped and glorified. So isn't he God? Why don't we speak of him more? Here's why all of those things. Let's go to the next slide in Hebrews 2.4. God also testified to it, the salvation and the message he had brought in Jesus, by signs, wonders and various miracles. All of these phenomenal things and spectacular things as special and uh, unusual and as, wow, how on earth did that happen, have only been God's way of confirming the message The gospel we have, that Jesus is Lord and salvation is in him, has been confirmed, and that is the ultimate word we will hear. And what God did is he gave gifts, that is, multiple gifting of himself, the Holy Spirit. And why did he give the Holy Spirit? He gave the Holy Spirit so people like me who were dead in sin and transgression might be made alive in Christ, might have eyes open to see, and might have the message of God confirmed in me. And so yes, the Spirit is worshipped and glorified with the Father and the Son and He is worshipped and glorified best when we do what he is doing, when we look to the Son. The Spirit delights to shine light and glory on Jesus, the Son, the ultimate Word of God, the ultimate revelation of God, the Savior of God. The Spirit says, hey everyone, my spotlight's on Him. If you want to be in touch with me, let's look at Him. And so we worship God best when we please the Father by praising his Son, when we keep in step with the Spirit by looking where he is looking, where we don't let signs and wonders and these wonderful things that God can do confuse the issue that Jesus has already been spoken, has already been established as supreme. You want to know God is in a church? You'll hear the word of God in that church and the word of God will point to his Son. Doesn't mean the people will be perfect. Doesn't even say that much for the pastor. But if the word of God is there and it's pointing to the Jesus of the Bible, you know God is there. You know God is there. Jesus is supreme. And that's how you'll know God is in that church. Okay, last one. We've uh, tuned in. We've turned up the volume because there are other voices. who have gone, Jesus is the best bit. We're going to repeat. Let me read this passage to you. I'm going to read it to you. See there are some spots in red? Just just, just to help, I'm going to raise my hand when I get to those spots in red. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every vision and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to God's will. We are rescued by the message of Jesus. By a proclamation. By a word to be shared. This has been the case from the time that Jesus sent the women and said, go tell them, he is risen. The first gospel announcement. I kind of need that. It continues into the early church as church, you know, church is always something to do. And the apostles said, you know, it wouldn't be a good idea if we got caught up waiting on tables. It's a very important thing. We're going to appoint some deacons to do that. But what we're going to do is dedicate ourselves to the core business of church, which is the word and prayer. And again, in our creed, we say we believe in an apostolic church. We follow the model of the apostles. In mission, when Jesus was walking this earth in Mark one thirty-eight, despite having the capacity and already having healed people, already having the wonder of the Holy Spirit descending as a dove, what does Jesus say in chapter 1, verse 38? He says, I need to go into the town so I can preach. For that is why I have come. I've come to announce a word this thing that we have to pay most careful attention to is a message, a declaration about Jesus and a declaration that brings salvation to sinners like me and sinners like you this is a message that we've got to pay attention to and as we hear it, we need to be able to speak it out we need to be able to repeat it here's the danger I'm sensing on the wind today and maybe my spider senses are off I concede that Today's danger is as much a blessing as it is a danger. And I think it might be a spirit of activism. Remember I said it's a blessing and a danger. There have been times we've been frustrated when, isn't this all just words? What are we going to do to make a difference? I grew up and many of us grew up in a time where probably the best thing you could do as a person was make money. I don't think people are growing up like that anymore. They're growing up in a better space, I think. It's about making change. And in a space where you want to make change, you want practical things to happen. If someone needs clothing, you want to give them clothing. If someone is hungry, you want to make them fed. If someone is cold, you want to make them warm. And you want to make it fair. And these are good and godly things. But I want to say, here's what I want to say. Our gospel our following of Jesus, our theology, that is, our knowing of God, if it doesn't move towards action, it's immature. We haven't paid attention. But if our action is not grounded in the gospel, if our actions are not driven by our theology, then it's idolatrous. And in a goodwill desire to feed people, to act justly, to do all the wonderful things of social justice, there's a very real danger. We will send people well-fed, warmly clothed to an eternity in hell. For salvation comes when the message of Jesus, the announcement, the gospel is proclaimed and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the sinner repents and believes and receives forgiveness. Let our gospel drive our action. For our action will not bring salvation. It will bring comfort. But we seek to serve a higher good. The gospel of Jesus is a two-edged sword. It judges. It saves. And the truth is it excludes. If your gospel is palatable to all, then perhaps it's not the same gospel as the one that Jesus once preached. For his was not palatable to all. He was a two-edged sword. But what his gospel was, was hope to all who believed. What his gospel was, was greater than any sin management plan. What his gospel was, was greater than any other message from God. It was the revelation and the very presence of God. And so let us tune into that. Let us turn up the volume on that gospel. And let us be a people who will complete the sentence, Jesus is. For it is in the speaking of the gospel that salvation is offered to people. The message of Jesus is a message of certain salvation to all who receive it. It is greater than any other message. And our action today, our call today, is to pay the most careful attention to that gospel we've received. Let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we indeed thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the perfect and the ultimate and the sharpest revelation of you. Oh, Lord God, we acknowledge that actions are indeed louder than words, but, Father God, you have shown us that words hold a specificity and a direction that actions don't. And so, Lord God, we pray that we might be a people who pay much closer attention to this message of Jesus the risen one, Jesus the saviour, Jesus the, the revelation of God. Father God, would we tune in, would we turn up the volume and may we be bold to repeat the message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.